Did you have a good Christmas? Yes, you heard what I did with my entire Christmas week. I was eating kielbasa all week, working here, working at the jail uh, all week. And so uh, it was an interesting week uh, for me. But I want to ask you guys a question as we start off today's message. And the title of today's message is 2019, my best year yet. And this thing that we're going to specifically focus on is first things first. First things first. So I want to ask you guys a question. We're going to start off with a base question. If you were to analyze and look back at the year, at 2018, and you know, you may say to yourself, you know, 2018 is over. Some of you may say, I'm not sad in the least to see it go and never to come back again. Is there anybody who falls into that category? I'm not sad to see this year go. Me too. Me too. This was a tough, tough, tough year. Probably my toughest year of ministry ever. It was difficult. I've been stretched in so many different ways. So for some of you, you're saying, sayonara, see you later. Don't come back again. Don't even write. (laughs) How many of you would say, you know what, 2018, this is going to go down as one of the best years of my entire life. There you go. We just found out who the optimists were here. <laughs> you had an amazing 2018. But here's it. It's interesting. And some of you guys, you don't even know how to classify your year at all. But it's interesting that in a room full of people, all of who on some level or another believe in God, believe in the Bible, are involved in church on some level because you're, you're here today, can have such radically different experiences this year. We know those people that it almost seems like every aspect of their life is completely God. Even when challenges come, it's like nothing shakes them. And there are those of us that it seems like life is an ongoing process. I'm going from one tragedy to the next drama to the next conflict. And you're just wondering, when is this stuff going to end? When is this stuff going to end? See, all of us believe in God on some level. All of us believe in the Bible. Yet, why is there such a polar difference in what I would consider the Christian experience? I'd like to submit to you today that it can come down to something called order. Order is important. Order is honestly everything, if you really think about it. The way we prioritize our world and our lives, it creates and impacts the lives that we experience for ourselves. Any of you who are married, you know that order is pretty important. For example, let's just talk about something simple. Loading the dishwasher. There are some of you that it's your turn to do the dishes and so you'll grab things out of the sink and you'll put them wherever. Some of you grab cups, you'll put them on the bottom shelf. Small cups. (laughs) What goes on the bottom shelf, guys? Plates, pots, pans, you know, big things, right? There's an order to things. The rest of you, you just put stuff wherever you find space for them. And let me just tell you, I believe God just tolerates you, all right? (laughs) There's an order to things. Grocery shopping, right? So um, some of us, when we grow grocery shopping, you see, look, my wife hates it when I go grocery shopping. Absolutely detests it, right? Why? I never go with a shopping list. 
I walk around every aisle, usually I'm hungry, and I put whatever I'm hungry for at that moment in that thing. So my wife will come home, she'll look at the bill, and she'll be like, what did you spend all of our money on? I mean, this is like ridiculous. You know, things put, putting stuff in the cart, not things that necessarily I need in the pantry, but there's things that I want in my stomach. And that's a really bad approach to shopping. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a secret, right? So I may shop like that, but my wife, my wife gets caught in these traps every time we go shopping, right? So I studied retail and business, and I know that when you are checking out of a store, you know, all of those little candies and juices and drinks and magazines and knickknacks that exist as you are exiting, those are called impulse buys, right? They are meant for you to be an impulsive buyer. My wife gets trapped in those things all the time time, right? There's some of you who, uh, you know, you're a little sick. Uh, You're like my wife. You literally probably have blueprints of the store on your phone. Your list is categorized by the aisles you're going to walk through. And there's an order to things. In a marriage, there's an order to things. If there's little kids, please close your eyes, close your ears. You know, let's, let's talk about sex even for a moment, right? There's an order to the way things go. And I want to tread lightly here, but there's an order to the way things go. Most of you know this. Men are like microwaves, right? They are ready in an instant. Women, you guys are more like slow cookers, crock pots. It takes more time for you to simmer and get there. So when I talk about first things first, here's my advice to you here. How do you turn the crock pot on, gentlemen? Let's go back to step one. Load the dishwasher properly and load it frequently. Your chances of loving will go up dramatically later. And all the ladies said, amen. Order matters. I would say that a life that's full of order is a life that God blesses. A life empowered by his spirit is not just about what we offer to God, but the order in which we offer it. Let me say that again. A life that God moves through, a life that God blesses is not so much about the things in our life, but to say, okay, God, I'm going to give you part of this area of my life, and I'm going to give you part of this area of my life, but it's different. It's when it comes to him and you say, God, I'm going to offer it in an order that pleases you. Here's the truth. God must be first. He cannot not be first. When God is first in every area of your life, the rest of your life will be filled with order. If God isn't first in any area of your life, I would argue that that area of your life and possibly the entirety of your life will be full of disorder. And so order matters. Look at what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 6, if you would turn there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. These are the, the words of Jesus here. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek God first. Today we're going to look at four firsts. With every bit of faith and belief in me, I believe that these truths and the spirit
spirit behind God being first applied to your life will not just change the way you live out 2019. It'll change the rest of your life. And if you're taking notes, the first first that we're going to talk about today is the first of our day. The first of our day, if you can write this down. We're going to seek God the first of our day. In the first of the day, we're going to pursue a moment with our creator. We don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to be ritualistic. If you wake up and nature calling, by means, go to the bathroom. If your breath is nasty, go brush your teeth before you pray. If you need to make some great coffee... See, all those things are okay, but nothing significant is going to happen in my day before I spend time with my Savior. In the first of the day, I'm going to seek God. And we get this picture from Psalm chapter 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. You see, time matters. Priority matters. Order matters. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. There is no water. When we look at the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life, we see all kinds of repeated behaviors in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus performing miracles all the time. He's preaching hope to the multitudes all the time. He's healing the sick all the time. But there's one behavior that we often miss when we're talking about on his life, and it's one that he repeated and one that he repeated consistently. He got away and he got alone to be with the father even in moments where people were still sick even in moments where people needed him to heal them he still got a way to connect with his father it's not even just that we know that he got away but we know often he got away he did this thing regularly look at this in the gospel of mark chapter one scripture says very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus got up he left the house he went off to a solitary place where he prayed before anyone was awake before the sun rose before nature and creation woke up the son of man needed to connect he needed to be filled he needed to be empowered by the presence of his father before he started the day see if the son of god needed to connect with his father before he started the day how much more do you you're not the son of god How much more do we need to do this? When you seek him first, it's not that you can't pray on your lunch break or read scripture in the afternoon or read it before you go to bed. All of that is fine. But there's something special about getting the first of your day ready and spending time with the father that sets the tone for the rest of your day it matters it will change you in the first of the day you're going to seek god here's what i advise you to do go home make a family plan plan with your spouse and kids that nothing happens in your day until we hold hands and we go to the father together it will change you to put him first In the first of the day, what are we going to do? We're going to seek God. In the first of the week, write this down if you're taking notes. In the first of the week, we're going to worship. Not only are we going to worship in church, but we're going to worship God together. We're going to worship collectively, community. Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says, the Bible says on the first day of the week, 
we the church came together to break bread. Here's a shocking statistic. A survey recently conducted of American churchgoers says that 48% of everyone that calls themselves a churchgoer in America attends less than once a month. You look at the book of Acts at the genesis of the church, and to be honest with you guys, you see something very, very different. The Bible says that the church devoted themselves to this, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. And it goes on to say that they ate and met together with glad and sincere hearts every day. The Bible says they met together in the temple courts like this, in corporate gatherings of worship. Then from house to house, something like a life group, every day they met together, and as a result, Scripture says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So why the drastic contrast between I come when I can, I'm really super busy, and once a month is about all I can do? So what's the difference? I don't believe that anybody comes more often because they're holier. I think that if we're honest, the thing that keeps on coming is we realize just how desperately we need each other. Church, if I can be honest with you, we need to get better at needing each other. This is not just a value add to your week when you can. Your soul needs what is happening right now in this room. My soul needs this. It's not a suggestion. It's a priority. The author of Hebrews says it this way, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And on the first of the day, No one or nothing gets my time until I've had it with the Lord. And on the first of the week, we're going to worship God and we're going to worship him together. And third, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. On the first of the month, we worship God with the tithe. Write that down. We worship God with our tithe. A few weeks ago, I talked about worshiping God with our gifts, worshiping God in our giving Let's look at this. Leviticus. This is awesome. Scripture says that a tithe, everybody say tithe. tithe. Of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord. It is what? It is holy to the Lord. A tithe, a tenth, the first tenth. It's just not even this. It's just not even 10% of your income. It's the very first tenth. Remember what I said. God must be first. He cannot not be first. When we put him first, the rest of our life is filled with order, provision, and blessing. A tithe not only is the Lord's, not only does it belong possessively to God, but they go the extra mile in scripture and they say it is holy to God. I've been tithing since I was 16 years old. I teach my little kids to tithe off the money that they receive on birthdays and Christmas. I'm teaching them that this is a holy experience. This is not mine to spend. And I know for some of you, it might be a little bit of a stretch to get there. And it was for me the very first time that I did it. But I deeply believe that when we put him first, it will change your life. You may be listening to this and say, wait a second, Pastor Tom, for me to give God the first 10% of my income first before I pay any other bill, I would have to rearrange my entire life to do that. And I'm going to tell you exactly. That's the whole point of this. The whole point is that we are choosing to rearrange our whole world so that God comes first. You may or may not know this, but in the church world, December is normally the largest giving month. See, as people look back 
at a year that God's blessed them, they want to respond by giving something significant above their tithe in the month of December. For those of you who have done that and do do that, I want to just take a moment and say thank you. It matters so much. It enables God's church to help build buildings, to help new programs, to create more environments and more spaces, to develop ministry, and to reach out to our community. And so I want to tell you that it matters. But I wonder what it would be like if December wasn't the largest giving month at Risen King. What if January was? What if before we knew what our year would look like or how God would provide for us or how God would bless us, we would make the choice and say, you know what, regardless of what you do in the first of my year, not the last of it, I'm going to give you a gift that says, I'm grateful. Thank you. What if we took the attitude and said, God, you're first. Before you even bless me, God, before you do anything, you're first and I'm going to worship you. What do you think that that does? For the heart of a father towards his kids. Inclines his heart to you. So in the first of our day, we seek him. In the first of our week, we worship together. The first of the month, or whenever you're able to gather income, we're going to offer and worship God with our tithe. Lastly, write this down. And this is important. In the first of the year, we're going to offer a fast. In the first of our year, we're going to offer a fast to God. Fasting is sacrificing nutrition. It's denying yourself physical nutrition for the purpose of pressing in to God's presence. People fast for all kinds of different reasons. They fast for someone who's sick to be healed. They fast because they have a big decision to make. And I'm going to offer this fast to seek God's will, his clarity. Others, you just want to feel God's presence more deeply in your life. I want to be more on fire for God's things than I've ever been before. So I'm going to offer up a fast to God. And all throughout scripture, you see fasting. There's even three times in the Bible that we know of where people actually fasted for 40 days. 40 days. Moses... So he was receiving the Ten Commandments, fasted for 40 days. Elijah on the mountain encountering the Lord, fasted for 40 days. Jesus himself in the desert being tempted, fasted for 40 days. You know what's interesting about this? These three people who fasted for 40 days speaks to the character of their life. So powerful was the anointing over their life that these three men stood together on one mountain on the day of transfiguration. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And the disciples were absolutely astonished. And I want to give you a couple of rules to fasting. The first rule of fasting is no one talks about fasting. Got it? That's the first rule of fasting. There's a point to this. For those of us that are young in the faith, you'll go to a restaurant and you'll say, can I take your order? Well, I'm fasting, so I guess just bring whatever vegetables you have. Put a smile on your face and say, I'd like a salad. With a side of what? On the side of my water. (laughs) You want to be happy about this. 
This is a joyful experience. You don't want to post a photo of you, a selfie of you on Instagram and Snapchat or Facebook with you just sipping your lentil soup and sick of death of how much you've been eating lentils. You want to be joyful when you're fasting. Matthew chapter 6 says, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. Your fathers who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's something that we offer to God with joy. I've got to tell you, the last six or seven years, our church has started the first 21 days of fasting and prayer. It has changed us as a church. It's changed what God has been doing throughout our church. Fasting is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible because if you're new to this whole thing, you say, okay, I'm not going to eat, but none of us are going to eat very much. How and what does this do? How does this create a special relationship with God? How am I getting closer to God? I just feel hungry and grumpy. And how is it that God blesses that? So let me explain it with scripture if I could for a second. Paul in Galatians chapter 5. And this scripture has nothing to do with fasting. But I believe it explains fasting better than any other passage in the entire Bible. Okay, so check this out. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul says, So I walk by the Spirit. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of this flesh. I need you to walk by the Holy Spirit that I've imparted to you, so that you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. He goes on to say, for the flesh desires, it hungers for what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. And he ends the verse by saying, for they are in conflict with each other. Some translations say that the Spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. I'm pretty confident that everyone hearing this verse has experienced that tension of the flesh in our lives. So what is, what is our flesh? It's what our physical bodies want. It's what our sinful nature craves. That's the flesh. The spirit is the Holy Spirit within us. And both of them are hungry. The question is, which one will you feed? Think about it. Why do we fast? We're going to deny our fleshly appetite what it wants for the sole purpose of feeding the spirit in our lives. The Bible says that we are called to lead spirit-led lives. How on earth are we going to lead spirit-led lives if your flesh gets whatever you want whenever it wants? Man, I had a revelation this week. As I was studying for this message, and that was literally one of the questions that I had to ask myself in my life. Because I prayed to God, God give me a spirit-led life. I want to walk in your spirit. I want to walk in your miracles. I want to walk in your power. And I was faced with this powerful question that I needed to come face to face with and be able to answer, how on earth are you going to lead a spirit-led life if your flesh gets whatever it wants, whenever it wants? Don't miss this. Whatever you feed will grow. And whatever grows will become dominant. If you're feeding that flesh, it will dominate your spirit. 
It will hurt your life. The blessings of 2019 and all that you hope for in 2019 will fail, fade away into destruction. If you feed your flesh anything it wants, you will be led in your life entirely by your flesh. But if we deny the flesh and we feed the spirit, what does the spirit long for? Spirit longs for intimacy with the Father. It longs for God's holy word. It longs for a life of obedience and faith. When we feed the spirit, the spirit grows. And now we are led. We're empowered completely and solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why we fast. So that we would be a group of people that not only profess faith in God, but we live a life propelled, empowered, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a spirit-led life. Let me just close with one clarification, church. I believe that God wants us to have a more faith-filled, God-empowered year in this coming year than we've ever had in the past. But I think we need to recognize the idea of us putting God first. But I just want to clarify this in case you've misunderstood something I said. We don't put God first. God is already first. He has always been first. Before the earth was whispered into existence, God was first. He was there. Before he said, let us make man in our image to have an object to love and to be loved by, he was first. Before sin ever entered into the human experience, God was already planning redemption. Make no mistake about it. We don't put God first. He is, has always been, will always be first. Preeminent, supreme in all things. It is the nature of his creation. So what are we saying? It's not that we are putting him first. It's that we're recognizing that he's already first. And then we're going to align that with every aspect of our lives. When you do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and say, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to place you first because I recognize you've always been first. The rest of your life will be power, peace. There will be clarity, provision. And God is going to use you to impact other people's lives. That's what happens with a group of people that places God where he already is first. Would you join me in prayer today? Father, we're so grateful for your goodness in this place. For giving us a place to explore the claims of Christ and to lead a life full of faith. So in that an attitude of prayer today, God, I ask that you would give us a posture of honesty with ourselves and with you as to what place we've actually placed you in our lives. I just want to ask you an honest question, church. I want you to analyze this as you're seeking God and praying. As I talk through these different areas, these different firsts, these priorities that God longs to be placing, I wonder how many of you God is speaking to There's an area of your life in the past where you've not placed God first. Whether it's in your mourning or your finances or the gathering in the house of God or the idea of starting your year off with a fast. And as you look at 2019, you know with complete clarity that there's an area that you're saying, you know, this year's going to be different. I'm going to have something I've never had because I'm going to do something I've never done. In this area, whatever area it is, God, I choose to place you first. If that's you, I'm so thankful to God for you. 
I pray that this year would be one of favor, of power, of provision. And God, even when the hard times comes, that God, it would be a year of your presence in our lives. That there wouldn't be a moment of their day that they would not sense that you are there with them. And as we continue to pray, church, there are others of you that if you're really honest with yourself, God isn't first. And you know it. Not only do you know that he's not first, God knows that he's not first in your life. And we've all been there. Every single one of us has been in a season of life when we're doing life on our own terms. Our agenda was the agenda that drove everything about us in our lives. But I got to be honest, that doesn't end well for any of us. But here's the great news. The great news is that God has always been the initiator. You don't initiate a relationship with God. He's already sought you out. How? In the midst of all your sin that separates us from a holy God, God sent first his son Jesus who lived a sinless life was tortured beyond what any human should ever endure and he died a criminal's death as he hung on the cross at Calvary that was his way of initiating a bridge that would cover the chasm of sin and bring you back into relationship with the father church it is not just enough to to know factually that that's true You have to receive it. You have to choose to align your life with the fact that God is first. So what does that mean? It means you deny everything. You surrender every aspect of your life, all that you are to all that he is. And you call on on his name. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. They'll be forgiven. They'll be made new. And in a moment of faith, the Bible says you will be saved and transformed by the perfect work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. For many of you, that might be the reason that you're here today. You're going to cry out to God today. He'll forgive you. He'll save you. He'll change your life. Not only 2018, but the rest of your life will be marked because you're a child of God. If that's your prayer today, if that's your prayer today, I bless you. All of us, we're going to pray together with you. Those saying yes to God's grace. No one's going to pray alone. Pray this out loud with me. Father, I need you. I've sinned. I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. You didn't deserve to pay for my sin. And I receive your grace. I surrender my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could serve you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would somebody in this place give a round of applause that our brothers and sisters are making a choice to come home to place God first. Would you join me as we worship the Lord and close out this final 2018 service. And we pray that you would welcome 2019 with us next week.